came back a year later and married Amy, and we've been there for 18 years. Next. <clears throat> so we've been there for 18 years. So uh, John's clicking in the back, so I'll just tell him to go next each time. Uh, this church does not support us, and we're not here asking for money. We're here because my wife knew Mrs. Cox, and we wanted to go to a homeschool conference. But we love Christians, and what a joy and honor to be here. And so because Pastor Cox was so kind as to let me have the opportunity to speak today, that's why I just want to share with you what the Lord is doing. If you love the Lord Jesus and believe the Bible, I want you tonight to be really, really happy because God is answering the prayers of his people and saving sinners. And I also want you to have a mixed feeling, like at the Lord's table. I want you to be very concerned and feel a pressing weight so that you almost leave the service tonight feeling tired. Is that possible? To feel happy and overburdened at the same time? Maybe it is. If you have a new baby, like we've got Elijah back here, when you have a child, there's overwhelming joy, but then you know, I've got to raise him. And what's he going to be in 30 years or 50 years or 80 years? And what's his kids going to be like? I felt that weight with my kids. So that's my goal. My goal is that you would be really, really happy and really, really tired, feeling a burden and a weight. In the back, we have little prayer cards. They're business card size. If you want, you can pick one up. Beside it, there's a white sheet of paper. You can put your name and your email address. Please write legibly if you care anything about me. About once every two months, I send out a prayer letter that has what God is doing among the Tsongas. I try to make my prayer letters interesting so there aren't any wasted words or wasted minutes. But tonight, I'd like to start by showing you the whole world. That's what's on the screen right here. Next one, there's four here. If you can put all four of them down. What does our world look like? It has 7,000 7, languages that are living, a number that are dead, 17,000 ethnic groups, 200, one more, 200 countries and 8 billion people, roughly. These are just rough numbers, of course. 7,000, go back, please. 7,000 languages and 17,000 ethnic groups. An ethnic group is made up of geography, language, and culture. When you have a unique geography, language, and culture, then you get to be called an ethnic group, which is why, which is bigger, languages or ethnic groups. There's more ethnic groups because you might have the same language, but you might have a different culture like Britain and America, for example. Next. Bring down all four of those. This is Africa. This is the specific part. So I just showed you the world in the last slide. Here's Africa. What's the world like? Well, now what's Africa like? Here's Africa with 54 countries. We're down there at the very bottom. So some people aren't very good with geography, so let me just help you. Here we are, South Africa. And yes, someone once asked me, why do they call it South Africa? <laughs> yeah, our schools are just great, right? <clears throat> 1.3 billion people, 2,000 languages, next one. And 4,000 ethnic groups. Do you follow that? How many languages total in the whole world? Yes, yeah, stay awake. There will be a test. 7,000 in the whole world. How many in Africa? So it's disproportionate. There's more languages per person in Africa than in the rest of the world. 2,000, and we're down to the bottom. And how many languages are we working with? I think that's the next slide, maybe. I can't remember. I changed this thing up so I won't get bored. And my kids, my poor kids have to see this every week. I try to preach different sermons every week, which is a lot of work, but 
I'm trying to keep my kids spiritually alive. But the presentation is mainly the same, and these poor guys. But I'm going to change some things tonight, so don't fall asleep. Uh, There should be three there. Yeah, yeah, here's the language groups that we're working with. So how many language groups in the whole world? Roughly. How many in Africa? We're trying to work with three of them. Africa, Venda, and Shona. Kombi Mamuka say. Tamuka Natose. So that was Shona. I just greeted Caleb and Shona, and he replied. So that's the bottom one. 18 million people right down there. They got their Bible in 1949. I referenced them this morning. Imagine if you got your Bible in 1949. But what happens if you only get your Bible in 1949? It means there aren't even schools yet for all 18 million of those people. It takes a long time for the gospel to saturate a culture. And a culture is a terrible thing to waste. It's the work of millennia. So what we're losing in America is not a minor thing. It's a major thing that was worked up. Even with John Wycliffe from 1384, we got our Bible. 1384. If some people want to wonder, why did the West develop? Oh, it's simple. We got our Bible before anyone else. And if you say, well, why? It pleased God. Did you know that Paul the Apostle tried to go to the East into India and the Spirit said, no, I want you going West. Take it up with God. He's the one who did it in Acts chapter 16. He sent the gospel that way, but now it's going South. Who knows if the Lord takes time, who knows what the next chapter of history will look like. We're working with these three language groups. Oh, Funzi, Mofuhani. Okay, I asked him in Venda, how are you? He said, I'm fine, but then he didn't ask me back. <laughs> okay, and then Songa, hey, Kulani, Manjani. Hipukile, Winamani. Kulani. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, I shouldn't try to test him. <laughs> so we're learning Tonga, Venda, and Shona, a few language groups that we work with. So almost all of our ministry is done in tribal languages. Not that. We don't love English. Of course, we love it. But our goal is to reach more rural areas. Next slide. Rural. Oh, go back. Rural. What is rural? Aside from a very difficult word to say. Who is making that thing up? Should have put some kind of fricking of like a coo or a la or something. But rural, rural. What are the rural areas? It's what we forget today in missions. We want to do missions where we can speak English and buy cheese with a visa card. And that's because... I got five kids, and when I wanted to go to be a missionary, I wanted to go to Mozambique, which is right beside Africa, uh, South Africa, and it's really, really poor. And she said, how about we start in South Africa where we can drive into the city and still buy milk? Next slide. Okay, when you think of Africa, you probably don't have a clear conception, so let me help you with a clear conception, clearer conception. It will be much easier for you next year to understand when... Pastor Mrs. Cox come to visit us and then come back with a lot of pictures and tell us. So they'll be able to explain things nicely. Or maybe they can bring Luke. I'm not sure. We'd be glad to have him. So in the cities of Africa, you're going to find something like this. This is Johannesburg. It's the financial capital of, of the whole continent and of the country of South Africa. Johannesburg. Maybe you've heard of it. A lot of gold and diamonds right there. So see that? That's big. And you think that's Austin. That side? Is that better? Is that one not visible? Oh. Uh, for the far le- on the far left, we've got the city. That's the, that's the, rural, uh, that's the 
developed area, the urban area. Here's the best of the rural area. When I say rural, I mean that area that's not urban. And I'll give you three marks of that in just a moment. Go up one slide or down one slide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is going to be the poverty of the urban area. So you see these shacks on the far left of the screen. <clears throat> Those shacks are squatter camps, open sewage, jammed together. No one wants to live there. And so if you want to go to a city in Africa, you show pictures like this. You, you come into a squatter camp when you're visiting, and you take pictures of this, and you say, oh, isn't it so terrible? Please give money to us as we go there to Africa, because look at how poor these people are. And it's terrible. They are poor. But where did they come from? Go backward one slide, Jonathan. Yeah, they came from, now on the right of the screen. Do you see on the right of the screen, the rural area? They came from there. Go down. And then they rent there. Does that make sense? So they have choices, and they chose to leave their home to come here, go back up, to work as a maid or someplace here. You following me? So people have choices, and there's freedom, and the people chose to leave their home area that speaks Tsonga or Venda or Shona, Zulu, Koso, Swati, or Ndebele, one of those languages. They chose to leave that area, down a slide, and to come here to rent a place to get a job because at least there they can have a job. For example, in our province, it's 49.8% or so unemployment. So however bad it is here, hey, it's a lot worse in places like that. Now, now look at the picture on the right, rural poverty. That was actually our next door neighbor. We built our house in a little village called Makongele, and just beside it was this, our neighbor. Exegete that picture, help me out. What do you see in that picture? What do you notice as peculiar in that picture? Satellite dish, living in a shack, and they've got a satellite dish, but there's no electricity. They had to run an extension cord, and we wouldn't give them electricity for a satellite dish, so they had to go to the other neighbor in order to get a satellite dish to watch. Again, people make choices. And this family came from Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is the country directly above South Africa. And it's so poor in Zimbabwe that it's better to live there in a shack like that. Ladies, look closely at that picture and you'll see a brick wall. Behind it is some smoke coming up. Do you see the smoke? Yeah, that smoke is them cooking on an open fire behind the bricks. So it's better there than it is back in Zimbabwe. Now, what else do you notice about that picture? How many women are there? If you can't see clearly, uh, pink on the bottom right. And then right in the center there is going to be the other woman. That's two wives, six kids, one man in that hut. And they chose to live there because that was better than where they came from. So I'm putting these up here so that you can get an idea of modern Africa. Go back one slide, sir. Okay, so there's the richest of the city and the richest of the village. Go down. And there's the poorest city and the poorest of the village. So if you come to Africa, you're going to be able to drive on a cement road unless you go to the rural area. Go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I say rural, I mean English is rare, tar roads or cement roads are rare, and jobs are rare. That's, that's what I'm trying to get at here. So we want to be missionaries and evangelize in places that don't have a lot of English, don't have a lot of cement roads, and don't have a lot of jobs. That's our goal. We want to reach those people. Next slide. And click two more. 
Okay, look what I underlined here. This is Africa. Percentage that is rural is 60%. That means three out of five. That's the majority. In the entire world, it's almost over 50%. It's 46% of the entire world that is living in a rural area. So though, though there are many millions of people who live in the cities, because there's so many villages in the world, actually a great number of people live in rural areas. And in Africa, it's a majority that live in rural areas. And when we say rural areas, that does not count the squatter camps that I included. Go back to one photo. Uh, cloak off the reds. Go up one more. Sorry. That does not include this number. That's not rural. That's just poor. Go down. Yeah. So in South Africa, there's 19 million. So in Zimbabwe or Zambia or these other countries, there's a greater percentage of rural. For example, Mozambique. That's not up there. But it's very poor. And it would be near to us. We started in South Africa because in the cities they speak English. And because I went over there and got my house. Then I got married. And she said, if you want me to have kids, I'm terrified of going to the bush where I won't have a doctor. And that might have been a very good decision because eight of our kids have broken bones. I'm sorry. Our kids have broken eight. We don't even have eight kids, do we? <laughs> our kids have broken eight bones. So maybe that was a wise decision. I thank God for a good wife. Next picture. But my, my goal here is just, I can go down one. My, my goal here is to emphasize the rural areas. Brothers and sisters, the cities need missionaries. But you can go to almost any city in the world and find someone there preaching the Bible. Yes, I would be happy if they had, if they believed in premillennialism and if they believed the eternal subordination of the sun and if they believed in expositional preaching, etc., etc. I'd be very glad if they followed exactly on the most precise points of biblical theology. But I can't have that yet. So what we, I'm just going to say, do they preach the Bible? Do they say Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, to God alone be glory, the Bible alone? Do they teach those five? And you can find churches that will teach Bible alone, grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone, to God alone be glory. You can find a church that will teach those five. They may be wrong in this area. They may be wrong in this area. But you can find churches that will teach that in almost any city of the world. But when you come to rural areas... You're going to go a few tanks of gas before you find biblical churches. So let me talk to you for a few moments about the religion of the Tsonga people. An introduction to African traditional religion. Look at this verse. You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. That is just a definition of animism or the religion that is common in South America and China and India before Hinduism and in Africa. And Africa is a stronghold for what's called African traditional religion or animism. Look what it is. What is God's word for their... Don't, don't get angry. Well, that's not fair. That, that, just look at the verse. I didn't make it up this morning. It is what? A way of life inherited from your forefathers. Down one. African traditional religion teaches that there are many gods. When I say African, I could also say South, Amer South American, or I could say Chinese, or I could even say Europe if you go back far enough. Because did you know Caesar 
Julius Caesar, when he first arrived at Britain to attack the Britons, that is, my forefathers, I don't know exactly what country you came from before 400 years ago, but Julius Caesar, when he came to attack the Britons, he wrote in his journal, the Britons are so stupid that when they come out to attack us, they divest themselves of their clothes and paint themselves blue, believing that the blue paint will make them invisible and invincible. So my fathers were so stupid that they would take off all their clothes and say, let's fight now, and they would get slaughtered. So much so that about 50 years after Julius Caesar, it was recorded by Cicero that the Britons are so dumb they can't even make good slaves. So the slave market in Rome was filled with white British people who couldn't even be purchased because they were so stupid. And then the gospel went there by the grace of God. And 1,800 years later, and suddenly the sun never sets on the British Empire. How did that happen? Bible. It's only Bible. But when we speak about African traditional religion, this is the religion that says there are many gods. So, for example, the word in Songa for God is Shikwembu. Can you say it with me? I'll, say, I'll tell you once more, and then you try it. Shikwembu. Try it. Shikwembu. Once more. Shikwembu. So, Shikwembu is the word in the Tsonga Bible for God. Problem. Before the missionaries got there in 1875... What did they call you when you died and were a spirit? Shikwembu. So there are how many Shikwembu? There's enough for every dead person. Which means, is there more than one or two or three or four or five? There are millions of Shikwembu. Shikwembu is the plural. Shikwembu is the singular. Don't get confused. So how many Shikwembu are there? There's millions of them all around, and they're all of different power and authority, which means if Caleb loses his job, he lost his job because that Shikwembu got angry at him and ha, 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 got you. But then if he gets a job, it's because these other Shikwembu weren't watching him. Notice that there are no, in this theology, in this religion, there are no Shikwembu that do good. There are only Shikwembu that do evil. And so all you can do all your life is to be terrified. Is that one going to get me? Is that one going to get me? I got to watch out because they're all going to get me. What would that do to your God-given desire to succeed? You're going to be terrified because if you succeed, all the Shukwembu can see you. You stand out from all of the other people in your area. If you're rich or powerful, if you invent something, if you do something great, the religion teaches you not to succeed do not advance don't take initiative because if you step out and say i'm going to start this industry then all the shikwembu are going to notice you best just to be like everyone else don't be noticed at all the religion it was inspired by demons deuteronomy 32 17 they worshiped gods which were demons demons inspired these religions and the reason they can't advance or haven't yet advanced is because of demonic influence. It's the religion that says there are many gods, and these gods are always active, and they're unknowable because they don't write books. Why do you think the Africans did not know how to write until the missionaries came? Because their religion told them don't record ideas. They're arbitrary, which means they change from day to day. Best example of this. We lived in Makungele village. While we were living there, 
I was asked to preach at a funeral. Funerals are very important in Sangha culture. So I go to preach at the funeral. The woman that died was in her 30s. She was a nurse. She had a four-year degree from a medical school. She died of malaria. Why would you die of malaria if you're a nurse? Because when she got malaria, she went to the witch doctor for two weeks until she was past the point of no return. Why did she go to a witch doctor? Because she said, even though I've got this certificate and this degree on my wall, and even though I claim to be a Christian, in reality, at my heart, that is my religion. And I'm still terrified of spirits. And I'm sure, <coughs> oh, I'm sure I'm sick because of the shikwem. So I go to the witch doctor to try to get some kind of protection from the Shkwembu who are still hurting me. Multiply that a million times or possibly a billion times. That's why there's poverty, ignorance, and lack of art. It has nothing to do with skin color. It has very little to do with geography. It is an issue of religion. And if you say otherwise, if you say otherwise, then you're either racist toward blacks or racist toward whites. Because some people say, well, they're poor because the whites enslaved them. Oh, so the whites are really, really bad. Then, then all white people are wicked and evil and vile, and white people should be crushed and stepped on. Or they're poor because they're really bad. Well, then they should be stepped on. No, neither side should be stepped on. They should have the gospel and the Bible. And the only way to understand poverty and really the history of the world is to see it as groups of demons inventing religions and what happened from that. And then God coming and saying, no, no, I've got a plan. And it's called saving sinners for the glory of Christ. Next picture. Ah, no, gotta keep going. Go back, go down one, go down one. Uh, but now there's a new religion in, in Africa because 80% of the country calls themselves Christian. So I want to just show you the new religion and see if you can notice a few things. Next picture. I, I don't have time, so I'm just going really quick. I, I have about 100 slides like this, but notice this here on the far left. Theme, we are exploiting Hantantamuka. Uh, Hantantamuka, that's the song down there you see in the blue. Hantantamuka. Can you see that one? Hantantamuka. It means we are exploding. Exploding. But since they didn't know English, they wrote, we are exploiting, which is exactly what they are doing. These people love money and they have very long offerings. I wrote a master's degree thesis on this. If you want, I'll send you and you can read through all the footnotes, etc. But the religion that is dominating in Africa is the prosperity religion. So look over here on the, this side. We've got the, the guy with the Disney font. Knight of double potion. Of course, it's supposed to be double portion. And they're going to take long offerings. Their offerings take 45 minutes or longer. They sometimes hire ATM machines and bring them to take your card there for the offerings. Next picture. Next picture. That's just something. I mean, isn't that funny? Boom and away. Okay, keep, keep, keep going. Can you imagine this? Pastor Cox, tell him. He's got to get bumper stickers like this, right? Agape City, uh, believe it, pray about it, speak it, keep it, grab it, run with it. What is this? Well, obviously what this is, is this is a Christianized version of African voodoo. What's the it here? Believe it, pray about it, speak it, keep it, grab it, run with it, release it. Oh, this is your life force. Grab this powerful life force. And if you don't believe me, first of all, read my thesis where I put tons of footnotes, or come visit us for two weeks. I'll be glad to take you to a bunch of these crusades. They have crusades where they'll openly preach, we all have this life force inside of us, which they commonly call faith now, and they'll openly say, we all are gods, 
Next picture. Uh, this, for example, is two doors into a, quote, church, close quote. And the guy's picture is about eight feet tall on each door. And he's supposed to be the pastor. By the way, he's a Nigerian. He left a very poor country in order to come to the richest country on the continent. Big surprise. And now he's got 200 some million dollars because he's a false prophet. And Second Peter told us there would be false prophets whose eyes are full of greed and adultery. Next picture. Uh, I am a wonder. Imagine that. Where's the humility? Didn't Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit? And these guys say what? I'm powerful. And notice this. Notice how this appeals to the natural man. You got this guy. Count up all the jewelry, if you can see it way back there in the cheap seats. Sorry, guys. Can you see that? Look at all the jewelry. This lady's got four or five rings and watches and whatnot. Now, it's not a sin to have watches and whatnot. Go ahead and have those things. That's great. But she's got it in an attempt to show it. Oh, no, take that picture again. Oh, you can't see my rings. Take it again. They've got to do that because they're trying to show off all the poor people. These are people in a rural area. But they take these pictures with their clothes and their jewelry to show off, I'm so powerful and so glorious because in African religion, the chief has to be the best because the chief channels life force through the Suquembu of the past. So if your chief is poor, you will definitely be poor. You can never rise higher than your chief. But if your chief has power and money and wealth, which is what every unconverted person wants, whether black or white or Hispanic or whatever, we all want power and money and wealth until we're converted, and then we want Christ and eternity. And so this guy says, power and wealth and money and big but all of his followers know I'll never be rich unless he's rich because he's going to channel that down to me. Remember, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, not the pastor, not the president. And it's African traditional religion that says it's the voodoo sangoma or the witch doctor. It's modern day fascism that says, ooh, it's the president. Did you know the original American presidents would speak about once a year? Now we want to hear from them every day. Please just go away and let us get our lives, get on with our lives. Just stop talking. But today's religion says what? No, no, no. We put great power and authority into our politicians. Or if we're in another sphere of the world, we say we put great power and authority into our religious leaders. Religious leaders may be great in their ability to teach or in their godly living. But after that, I have no more power in my prayers than you do. Next picture. Here's a, here's a popular guy again, another Nigerian. Look at the picture on the left. This is the water that he sells at his crusades. On the front, it says anointing water. On the bottom of the box, it says the blood of Jesus sets you free from sin, sickness, and hardship as you minister it in Jesus' name. What's the it? It's the water. Look at the back of the box there. It has the blood of Jesus coming out of the hand, dropping down and becoming water. Underneath it says the blood of Jesus. On the side of it, it says for the salvation of your soul. That is, you're supposed to buy that box with a little bottle inside, uncork it, and drink the water, and you will be saved by drinking his holy water. That's exactly a page from African traditional religion or from animism. Find that in the scriptures where you, you buy water from Elijah, and then that forgives you of your sins. Next picture. Here's another guy, super popular. He's from Malawi. Malawi is one of the top 10 poorest countries in the world. Notice this. The false teachers always leave poor countries. They come to South Africa because it's the richest of the 54 countries on the continent. So Malawi, this guy leaves Malawi, comes to South Africa, lives in the richest mile on the continent. Santon. Super expensive there. He's got two jets. <clears throat> and on this oil that he sells, he puts a lion and himself 
and he calls himself the Lion of Judah and the Angel Gabriel. Here's, uh, here's anointing oil that he's selling for $10 a bottle. Next. Now look at this. This is one uh, advertisement for a crusade. Just no, I'd like to spend an hour exiting this, but I don't have time. Notice on the left. Notice how cool everything's got to be cool and powerful. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul doing something like this? So start with the pictures. And there's always got to be a woman because most of the people who come to this are women because women are more prudent. They have to watch out for the, their little babies and because women who are not converted are often bound by fear. African women are terrified. Wouldn't you be terrified if you had very little money and six kids in a shack? You would be terrified. So they're going to go every time they hear about this guy's preaching and that guy's preaching. He promises miracles. Well, he looks like he's got a lot of the life force from uh, so many of the Shikwembu. So maybe I'll go to him. Maybe he can somehow protect my kids from failing. I've heard many times in Makungele. I can't say many times. I've heard several times. When a uh, student will fail, he'll say, well, it wasn't my fault. They took up all the passing. There was no passing left. Nope. What are you talking about? Anyone can pass if you just achieve. No, no, you can't. There's only a certain amount of good out there in the African traditional religion worldview. There's only a certain amount of good out there. And you can't, if, they, if this guy takes it all, well, he took yours, so what are you supposed to do? Well, look, because you cross, cross over. Freedom at last. Oh, freedom at last. Like today there's freedom? What about freedom at the cross? Judgment night two. I thought Christ died how many times? You see, false religion always wants to kill Christ more than once. Some religions will say, oh, he has to die every week. No, 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 no. He died once, Hebrews chapter 9. And at the end of the world, that was, that was when he died, the beginning of the, of the end. He died once, and he's put away sin forever for all who believe in him. Judgment night two. What is he going to do? Bring any situation and watch as God judges. What does he judge here? What's not on the list? Sin, guilt, hell, condemnation. Right? That's not on there. But if you read the Bible, chapter 2, what does Christ save us from? The curse of the law. What does he save us from? Our own inner wickedness. What does he save us from? Your heart is bad and my heart is bad. But here, what do you got? Judgment night 2, he's going to come and get you out of poverty. You don't need the Holy Spirit to want to get out of poverty. Everyone in Austin wants to be Elon Musk. But this guy, he's coming saying, hey, I'm a Christian. That's no more Christian than Islam. And this is what's called Christian today. Next picture. Here's a guy, touch me by mistake, die by correction. And look at what this produces. False religion affects business. Shidakwa. Nzaka, Shidakwa Shibalin. Shidakwa is a Tsonga word. It means drunk man. Drunk man transport. Want to hire him? I mean, just imagine, they don't, they don't call it, what is it, DoorDash or whatever. They don't call it DoorDash. They call it, they call it drunk man food. Yeah, I'm calling that guy. <laughs> Give him five stars. But why does he do that? Well, why not? The religion inspires that kind. And as long as we're on names here, can I just tell you some of the names of people we've met? My son's, one of his closest friends was Kill Me. Okay. Uh, my wife invited beer into our house. It, she's a young lady, and my wife eventually led beer to Christ, and we had the joy of baptizing her. Um, we, uh, we saw Pastor Teargas. That's a, that's a pastor. We led a man to Christ, a Shona. His name was Wastemore. He's now in Zimbabwe. And 
sometimes give money to waste more. So I don't know how you feel about that ethically, but we're giving money to waste more. I've done Bible studies with a man named Judas Iscariot. Unfortunately, he fell away. Uh, two guys in our village were named Hitler. And I buried Saddam Hussein. You can, again, you come visit me, I'll show you Saddam Hussein's grave. It's written there, Saddam Hussein Maluleke. And it's right by our house. It's 50 yards from the house we built in the village. We asked them, um, why'd you name him Saddam? They said, we heard there was a strong guy who could stand up to America. So we wanted our kids to be strong. There you go. You might as well, Ahab, Jezebel, keep going. Look at this guy, Christ to preach in hell. Christ will preach in hell from 30 July 2017. Many people will be moved from hell to heaven. Pray that your relatives will be removed from hell. Is that Christian? That's not in the Bible. And he's going to charge you money for that. And then look over here. Again, if you have this kind of religion, look what you do in civics. Ho Chi Minh Ave. Anyone know who Ho Chi Minh is? Come on, do we read history? That's the guy in the Vietnam, the communist who made things miserable. Here's Karl Marx, responsible for 150 million deaths in the last 150 years. They put him on the street sign. Why? If you've got a religion that, do, that is inspired by demons, you're going to have some bad thoughts. Next picture. Oh, oh, but this is the best. Can you see this guy? This guy, 2010, financial and prosperity. I don't care how old this picture gets, I'm still going to keep it because this is a clear example. Okay, over here on the left, it's the poster. At the bottom is a verse. Look, look, look at this verse. Can you guys see this back there? Okay, let me read it to you. The first mark is a mark of punctuation, and it's a quotation mark. I almost want to stand on this chair to get up there. Do you see the quotation mark at the far left on the quote right up there? That means everything that's going to be said comes straight from the Bible. See, that's why I shouldn't sit in the back. I see you, Ruby. You are trying to see. And, see, and if you just came up four more stairs, I know you're sitting where your parents said. Okay, okay, fair enough. Quote, Jesus came on earth so that whosoever believes in him should cease to be poor but be forever wealthy. Close quote. Can anyone see that Bible reference? John 3, 16. This is John 3, 16. Quote, Jesus came on earth so that whosoever believes in him should cease to be poor but be forever wealthy. Does it require the Holy Spirit or conviction of sin or repentance to want that? Is that in the Bible? That is what's preached all over the, quote, churches, close quote. If you see people talking about there's some revival of religion in Africa, my response to that is, it's this. This is the religion. It's no more Christian than Islam. It's Buddhism with the Bible. Don't call it Christian. But we do because we're so foolish. And we say, if we say anything negative about that, they'll call us, a, Ooh, and I'm so afraid it'll be called. Well, I live there. And I've been beaten. We've taken a bullet for them. I got the street cred, and I'm going to say it because I love them. And it doesn't help the poor people that we have gone to serve when we say, well, let's just not say anything bad. If you don't tell them the truth, how are they going to change? And if you don't know the truth, how are you going to pray intelligently? And it's simply Bible. Have you read 1 Samuel 15? When Saul is commanded to kill all the Amalekites. Why? Because their culture was so filled with wickedness. And by the way, they had 350 years Influence from their first reference in Exodus 17. In Exodus 17, they met the Amalekites for the first time, and they had 350 years from then until Saul in 1 Samuel 15 to repent. They refused to repent. And so God said, my time is done with that people group. Destroy them entirely. But if we love those people, we are going to tell them before they reach the point of no return. 
And I do love them, and I want them to be saved. And there's no salvation unless we say, the religion you've got is not from the Bible. It's vile. It's Christless. It exalts money and the pastor and humans. It, it fears spirits far more than it fears God. This needs to stay in your mind as the religion of the rural areas of Africa. Not the idea that's airbrushed by the world saying, no, no, oh, they're so poor, but they're so happy. And there's a revival. Millions and millions of people are these solid, dedicated Christians. But you stingy Americans, you're so wicked. And maybe you are wicked, but don't count them as better. It's only the gospel that makes anyone good. It's only the Bible that has the power to influence society. Next picture. These are quotes that I've heard from pastors. I will not leave this city until no one has AIDS, number two. Oh, number three, you are all children of God. I don't want to talk about hell. I just want everyone to be happy. I've gone to many, many churches and many crusades, quote churches, close quote. Uh, the demon in her said, this is number four, she will never give money in the offering, but I said, Satan, out. And then she gave. Number five, I cast the spirit of stinginess out of that tither's envelope. Number six, command it, money, into your bank account. Number seven, it's boring in heaven. I've heard all those and many more. You can, I, I catalog all of these word for word on my blog. These are all translated from Sangha or Venda back into English. But my blog is, son of, it's on my prayer card if you want to read the blog. Go to the blog and you can look up Miracle Crusades or Prosperity Gospel. It's a tab on the side. I've got so many accounts of this, first-hand accounts, where men will stand up. I'll give you one, one quick example. 2008, when this crusade is a white man from Johannesburg, drove six hours up. He couldn't speak the language. I can. He's in my village. He gets all these poor people together, and he has almost an hour-long offering where he sends the plate through repeatedly until he gets enough money. White man driving a Mercedes. Very poor people. At one point, he says, let's just take time where we're all singing while we can call all of the elderly to the front. If you're over 70 or so, you get a, a grant about $20 a month. They had just gotten their grant the few days before he came. So he said, I want to call all the elderly to the front, and I want a translator to come and translate what I said to them. What he had said was, if you buy a small envelope for about $10, then he will pray over that envelope in a stack of all the envelopes together. But then there's large envelopes for $40, and if you buy the $40 envelope, he'll pray over that one individually. He will touch each of the large envelopes individually. That's straight from African religion, and it's a white man doing it. So they sang while this lady is translating to all the old grandmothers who are terrified because they're sick and have no way to get better. And so they bring their last two pennies. And isn't that exactly what our Lord was talking about in Luke when he says the widow's two mites? He wasn't praising the widow saying, oh, she's so wonderful. She gave her two mites. He's saying, look at what false religion does. Because the very next verse is rebuking false pastors in Luke chapter 22. He's saying false pastors will come to a widow and they'll wring every penny out of her. Give it, give it, give it to me. I don't care if you die. Give me all you've got. That's the religion of that vile place. And God can save them by his grace. Next picture. Ah, uh, but no time. Next picture. Next one. We got to run. This is a, a guy that we led to Christ in 2006. I asked him the question, what is the state of Africa? As far as uh, religion, what is the religious state of Africa? He said, we are in desperate spiritual trouble. The number of truly born-again people is minute. Most pastors are false teachers. I've got lots more like this. I have a few more in here. I'll just skip them all. But if you want, I can send it to you or whatever. Skip, skip, go again. Who are we? What have we done? Okay. 
My wife's smiling because I'm, I'm so far behind time, but I won't even look at the clock. If I'm bad, I'm not coming back. Relax, okay? You, don't, you can't even cut my salary because you don't pay me, okay? And pa- you'll get Pastor Cox back soon, and he'll be much better. Next picture. Uh, this is our family. Got five kids. I love them. I got the greatest family and the greatest wife. Next picture. Uh, we went out uh, in 2004, and we went out in three months of deputation. Usually takes three years. We took three months because we cut our support in half, and we went to 10 churches and said, I went to 10 churches before I was married, and said, I'd like every church to consider giving us 10% of our support. I'm telling you this because I don't want your money, but I'd like you to do this to other missionaries who come in. Because I'd really like to switch the raising of support. It's really ridiculous where missionaries go to 40, 50, 60, 80 churches, getting $20, $20, and you don't know them. I mean, you guys have all these, do you know, how many missionaries do you know personally here? I don't know, maybe you know them, great, wonderful. It would be wonderful if a church had two or three missionaries, even $1,000 each. And when they come back, you keep them here for a month. You can pray with them. You can watch them. You can see if the man loves his wife. You can see if he's gifted at communication. A lot of missionaries are really boring speakers. If they're boring in English, what must it be like to listen to those people in German? Hello. Glad you're here tonight. Uh, Oh, my goodness. No, you need to send your very best. So this is what we tried to do. We tried to spend longer time at each church and have shorter furloughs. Came back in May, and we're leaving in about four weeks. Next picture. Uh, Our philosophy was to live among them, to learn their language, to take time in Bible studies, and to live modestly. So that's why we tried to speak Tsonga. We love their language. My wife is fantastic in Tsonga, and I, I just tip my hat to you, Amy. Greatest missionary ever. Next picture. So this is where we're living. You see there, there's South Africa, there's Zimbabwe, Botswana, you see all those? And we live inside the red circle and we're planting churches in a, in a region there. Click down a little bit. Oh man, no time. Acts 13 to 21. Okay, stop there, stop there. Yeah, right there. Acts 13 to 21, it's nine chapters in your Bible. Who knows what's in those nine chapters? You can't answer. No, this row, this row can't answer. Those nine chapters are the three missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. It was really easy to follow. Watch this. 13, 14, 15, missionary journey number? 16, 17, 18, missionary journey number? Uh, 19, 20, 21? Uh, you got it. You got it. So three missionary journeys in nine chapters, and this sets of three, roughly speaking. He was a missionary for 12 years, roughly speaking. Again, we don't know the exact dates, but roughly. He's a missionary for 12 years. Now, if you go home tonight and you smash your teeth, or you, uh, you take time to take your Bible, you'll be able to read through that, those nine chapters and underline every city that Paul the Apostle goes to. And you'll find there's about 19 cities. Of the 19 cities he goes to, 14 of them have a church when he's done. That means in 12 years, he plants how many churches? 12 years, how many churches? 14. 14 churches in Yeah. I've been there 18 years, and I've planted one. Do you see what happens with the power of God? The power of God was on the Apostle Paul. When you pray for your missionaries, what should you pray for? Pray for God's power on them. I would gladly be in a wheelchair if only God's power would come to the Tsongas. I'd lose my arm. I'd be sick. If only, if by that, but but you can't purchase it. You've got to fast and pray for your missionaries that God would send his power. And it's going to be too much. Two, four, 10, 20 missionaries? How are you going to do that for 20? Pick two. 
or one. Pick one or two off this board and pray for them until God sends his power on them and helps them to see true conversions. I don't want mere prayers. I saw one of the books, uh, a big church around here. It said in a book that I saw recently, it said uh, they had led 36,000 people in the sinner's prayer. 36,000. Under that, it was 16,000 baptisms. Do you see the difference? Notice that. How many, ba- how many led in the sinner's prayer? 36,000. How many baptized? Less than 50%, 16,000. And then it said underneath that, 1,600 made disciples. It, whoa, what is this? 5% of the people who pray your prayer become disciples. I thought Jesus told us, go into all the world and make disciples. When it says teach That's the word, make disciples. He wants us to go into the world and make disciples. So this church advertising 36,000, just rub the 36,000, rub out the 16,000 baptisms. You made 1,600 disciples. Praise the Lord. I thank God for those 1,600. I just wish you wouldn't boost your numbers and try to look good in the eyes of men with the 36,000, 16,000 thing. And the fact that you weren't honest about the 36,000 makes me doubt if there's really 1,600, but let's hope there are. Let's hope, right? Love hopes all things. We're trying to plant selfish churches. By selfish, I mean self-supporting, self-propagating, and self-governing. So right now at this point, I'd like to just take another offering. I'd like you all to dig deep, and let's give $10,000 to the Africans. No, no, I don't want your money. Why? Why? What are we trying to do? We want them to stand on their own two feet. We're not saying, hey, let's all take a big offering, and then we... No, money does not save people. The power of God saves people. So if you'll read Acts 13 to 21... You can mark down SS for self-supporting, SP for self-propagating, SG for self-governing. You'll see it right there in the story. And when you send out missionaries, you need to send out missionaries following that pattern because you heard it from me, Seth Myers, and I've been there for 18 years, and I'm the final authority. No, absolutely not. I'm not the authority. Why must you send out missionaries who are doing this kind of church planting? It's in the Bible. But we've somehow gotten so confused and we're giving money to all kinds of things that aren't this. We need that as the main support of our mission's money. Next. But I think there's three more. So, oh my, look at this. This guy doesn't know grammar. Look at that. Let's start one selfish. We've planted one selfish church. We have five church plants and two preaching points. Now, very briefly, which means nothing from the pulpit, I'd like to explain these right here. Okay, this is what we've done for 18 years. All that was just background. What's happening among the Tsongas, Vendas, and Shonas is this. Next picture. This is the selfish church. See the top, selfish church? Elam Baptist. We planted this church. No builders built that church. It was all church members. That building was built after 10 years of our ministry there among the Tsongas. Half of those people aren't converted. It's about 40 people in that picture who are Christians. But that church is a selfish church. We're not there anymore. That church is now run by Africans. When we come in, if Amy and I even come to the church, which we almost never come to the church, if we do come to that church, we sit in the back and a black man leads and a black man prays and a black man preaches and they choose their songs and they do it all with the Bible and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's what we want. You see, because we're the real anti-racists. We believe that those black people are smart and clever and can do it. And they don't need to be propped up by us. Well, 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 we'll keep doing it because we actually know. And you just keep coming to me. You bow down nice and low. And then maybe I'll give you your $500. That's not true. They can do it because they've got the power of God. And they have the image of God in them. And they're working hard. Next picture. Here's my wife. She made these banners. And 
These are the five mottos that help us summarize the gospel, which I preach constantly. Far left, sola scriptura, Bible alone. Next one, sola gratia, grace alone. Next one, soli deo gloria, to God alone be glory. Sola fide, faith alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. I preach these five on the streets, everywhere. When I do, people constantly say, I've never heard that. Yeah, because you're not Christian. Next picture. Here's the pastor, Alpheus and Shoni. Alpheus is the pastor, his wife Shoni. These guys are fantastic. Dear brothers and sisters, love them, and we thank God for them. He was converted in 2014. He's now the pastor of the Selfish Church, the self-supporting, self-propagating, self-governing church. This man is a dear friend, writes me every Sunday night telling me what's happening in churches. Pay him. In fact, I think he might be getting more than me because he has a government job. But he's a man who's truly converted and is doing a great job. Next picture. A choir they made. We didn't make the choir. They made it. Next picture. This is our teammate, Paul. He planted this church down the road. Next picture. That's Paul. Bunch of kids. Two PhDs. Started a church. He's a bit of an underachiever, I think. Next picture. That's Paul preaching in the church. Why is this, this church not selfish? Come on, tell me, why is this church? Camden, you got it. Why is this church not selfish? It's a whitey in the front. We want a godly tsonga. That's our goal. We want tsongas to lead it. Paul wants a tsonga to lead it too. We can't find a godly man in that particular village. So when you pray for your missionaries, pray that God will give them godly men who are honest, who have one wife of Jesus. Next picture. So he started a classical school. That building on the left is the church. That building is the school he started. Next picture. Now, oh my, I didn't tell you about this. There's a lot of fun stories. In 2006, we got attacked by a crocodile. Uh, this huge crocodile bit the one guy, pulled him under. He got released. He, we had, there was three white guys, me and Paul and another guy. Uh, we were in Mozambique trying to find a place to put up a mission station. Went swimming in the river. And then I, I saw the crocodile, Nguyenya, Nguyenya, because I knew Tsonga. They had just arrived and they didn't know it. I got out of the river, get a skiff, come back out. I got Paul, pulled him into the skiff, turned back, and just then... Dan, the other guy's clawing himself up onto the beach. His legs and everything are in shreds from the blood. This croc is massive. The guy's taller than me. He was bit one time. It got him from the knee to above the belt line, diagonal with one bite. So just imagine how big that lizard was. And he pulled Dan under, and he's going to die. Dan sticks his arm inside the croc's mouth, grabs the valve at the back. The croc lets go. How did he know that? He said, well, I was down there under the water. I just remembered this TV show with Steve Irwin when he said, what would you do if you were bit by a croc? He said, I put my hand down his throat and grabbed a back and he'd open right up for me. Sure enough, the guy gets out. So he's, we're in the middle of the bush three days in where there's, there's nothing. There's no hospitals. There's no, and we get out there. Anyway, the guy's a pastor in Indiana today. He didn't want to stay in the mission field. He went back to America, but... Uh, we've had a number of exciting things. We moved to the town from the village because in 2014, we had three men come into our house with guns uh, at night. They beat us. Uh, they attacked us. They put the gun on Caleb's head, uh, my, my boy there, when he was seven. Uh, they had one gun on my head, held at Amy. It was prolonged and intense. Um, uh, they clubbed us. We were bleeding all over. Uh, Cameron was in Amy's belly, and they beat her stomach. And Cam's here today because God is so kind. Um, they wanted to violate my wife, and so we said, well, 
now it's time to go down swinging. It was about, after about 20 minutes they had been in the home. So um, I, we, I was trying to conciliate them. Anything you want, I'll give you my car, I'll give you anything. But they wanted money, and we don't have money. So um, then when they attempted to hurt Amy, we said, well, I, I mean, hurt, quote, hurt, close quote. Everyone understand? Um, I said, well, it's, it's time to go down. So I grabbed the gun from one guy and pulled the trigger in his eyes, and it was empty. So I said, they got nothing. They got nothing. So we started fighting. My wife picked up a broken chair and broke it over the guy's head. Um, I got a great wife. So, but there was three guys, and another guy from just eight or so away pulled the trigger, and um, he missed. We found the bullet on the ground. So I charged him. There was fighting and plenty knocked doors off the hinges, et cetera, but the Lord protected us. And the guy had more bullets, we found out later, um, because he, he attacked and shot someone else in the village that same night just after he left us. So the Lord protected us, but my wife said, hey, this is terrifying me. I can't sleep. I, it was, I'm, I'm cutting it short. You can read her account if you want to read it. But, so we moved out of the village. We now live in the town. It's about 30 minutes away. Remember the pictures I showed you at the beginning? Urban, rural. We now live in an urban area, and we drive to a rural area. So it's a town, but it's much, much smaller than here. And we drive into the rural area and drive back. So while we're in the town, we started this English church accidentally. It was kind of providentially. We didn't intend to, but this English church began. It's English because if you live in town, you have to learn English. Because even if you're black, there are so many different language groups. There's Zulu, Shona, Sutu, Venda, Tsonga, and many different ones, Swati. Swahili uh, in town that you can't get along with that, so you're going to have to learn English. So we started an English church in town, and this is it. Uh, this is not our building. We're renting another building in town. Next picture. Uh, for time, i got to move on. Next picture. This is Valdezia. This is one of our church plants right now. I want to just show you a little bit here about how we're attempting to make selfish churches. This is Althea's preaching. You know what? Hover over it. Make a finger. This video. Just so you hear the language. We worked in that tent for a while. We were under a tree. We, we were, stop that or pause it. Go to the next one. Hit the down arrow maybe. Amy teaching the Sunday school class. We were meeting under a tree, but three times in one month, I had to break a different man beating a different woman while holding her by the hair. We don't have a church building. We were meeting under a tree at someone else's house who's not converted. We were still trying to get converts. At that point, we had no converts in the church, church plant. In our efforts to plant a, a church in this village, we had no believers yet. We began in 2015. It is very easy to get people to pray a prayer. Getting people to pray a prayer is very quick. But getting people to follow Jesus, to take up their cross daily, that's quite a task. So our goal is to get people to take up their cross daily. So we were preaching and, and working, and the only place we could find to meet was in an unbeliever's home meeting under a tree. We eventually bought this land, which I didn't like to do because I thought that's not selfish. But I bought the land. And then the church people did the work to put up the fence posts, to dig the, uh, to build that, that toilet. You see the toilet on the left there? We eventually baptized five young men 
in their upper teens and early 20s, and we built that toilet together. Next picture. This is going to their baptisms. And America really needs to realize that pickup trucks were made to carry people. I'm not sure what, what disconnect there is about that. but that, So this, the selfish church is the two pickups on the left, and this is our pickup here at the end. And the Elam church brought their people, and we all went together. And each of those vehicles has at least 30 people. Next picture. Play this one. This is where we baptize. Baptism spot. Come on, you wouldn't want to be baptized there? No, you would. Although there was a crock, but that's fire up the river. And we were told it's a small one. We've never seen it. We were told it's a small one. But we, we went down below the, the rock area, so it's not easy for a crock to pass that. Next one. Play this one. This is how we built the church. We need water. To mix yeah, I wish you were here to carry those. That heavier than you realize. And you need about three of them to mix every bag of cement times about 60 bags of cement. And we're getting it from down, from down here. We're calling, it's still filling up water to get from the reservoir. Yeah, we don't believe in child labor laws. Put those kids to work. See the whip marks. Next video. Play this one. So that's the water. What else do you need for cement? So this is where we're getting our sand from. And this is the beast doing all the work. In this beautiful area down by the river. I wish I could edit that out. So we collect the sand from four kilometers away. We collect the water from two kilometers away. Next one. Play this one. And don't ever complain about the potholes on 290. Just another day at the office. But you'll notice that I'm not driving, right? I'm taking the video. Because 63% of the young men don't have fathers. And even if they do have fathers, they don't learn what a father should learn. So I wasn't taught in school, you're going to have to be a dad, but you have to be a loving father because these boys are starving for male attention and male leadership. They want to know how, how to match clothes. You say, well, that's silly. No, it's what you, you grew up. You were taught that. How to match clothes, how to take care of yourself, hygiene, how to talk to a girl. At one church years ago, one of the boys came in and said, Pastor Seth, can you help me? He asked me for help. He was from Paul's church. Pastor Seth, can you help me? He's probably 21 then. Can you help me? What's the problem? I want to love a girl. Oh, well, let's talk. This is a big talk. No, no, it just happened right now. I, I, I talked to, I think it was Portia. I talked to Portia, and I told her I loved her, and she said, I don't want to talk to you. How do I, well, do you know her? No, I just saw her today. What, why did you tell her you love her? Because I wanted to love her. No, you, no, that's not the way it, you laugh at that, but you have a father who helps you. What if you were in a place where you did not have a father to guide you or a mother? Because most of the kids are raised by their grandparents. You can laugh, but if you were there, you wouldn't laugh. You would say, I love you. I want to help you. Because they're thoughtful people made in the image of God, but they need someone to guide them. What did you do to be born where you were born? It's the grace of God. We teach these guys how to drive. We teach them how to play ball. They're, they're, they're better at me than ball, but they whine when they get hit. Oh, 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 oh. No, no, we don't whine about that. We're tough. And we don't lie when we're playing ball. That was out. That was out. It wasn't out. And you know it wasn't. We don't lie. 
Christians are the best people to play sports with because they never lie. We've got to teach them those things. Next. So we built it out of rocks. And if those rocks look small to you, I dare you to try to pick them up. Next one. And this is what happens when you teach people how to drive. There is air between that wheel and the... Next one. I thought that was so cool. I just had to show you two pictures. You tell me you wouldn't like to be in that vehicle. Yeah? It's just manly. Get chest hair just looking at that picture. Next picture. So this is us trying to build. We just dug the trenches. There's no zoning laws or codes or anything. We just took a piece of paper. Let's try to make 24 by 30. What do you think? So we used rocks because they only have about $20 a month in the offering. So we don't have money. So we got to get the sand for free, the water for free. At the other church, my wife baked no-baked cookies. You ever eat no-baked cookies? She bakes no-baked cookies. She baked, got a recipe from the internet, made lip balm, called it building balm. We sold that on Saturdays until we have enough money to buy cement. Bibles, building balm, and no-baked cookies. All the church members go out and sell that. We get enough money to buy cement. Next week, we buy cement, and we go to work. When the money's out, back to selling again. That was at Elam. Here, there's no, there's no market to do those things. So we say, well, we have no money to buy bricks. But let's just use rocks. So we started building with rocks. I don't know how to build with rocks. I'm not a builder. I YouTubed how to build with rocks. <laughs> Next picture. And then this is the foundation. There's our cement machine. There's no electricity there. Next picture. And there we are. It's coming along. Next picture. Next picture. Going up. The walls are getting higher. But we don't know how to do this. We're just, well, it makes sense. You know, if the rock, if the rock falls off, it probably wasn't placed right. Put it there so gravity does its work. Cement. Throw the cement on. Picture. Oh, you got to play this one. Building the pulpit at Valdesia Baptist Church. There he is. Say hi, Temba. Hi. There he is. Hi, Bob. Hi. And these guys are getting the job done on the beam filling. Piece at a time. Well done. Hi, we hope to have church here tomorrow. Hi, Next one. You tell me this guy's not jealous. He is. Play it. Oh, go back. Play that one. Most of these are not Christians, and they're from four different church plants. The white people are from the English church. My wife plays the piano. I should have had the... I'm sorry, sweetie. I should have had you play the piano. Oh, we need to buy one. Hey, can we just take a quick offering for the piano to put in Valdesia? That would not be? Selfish. Right. So I play the guitar, or I do something with the guitar that some people call playing, and I teach those people to do the same thing I learned, and we play. Why? Because we want it to be reproducible. So I've taught maybe half a dozen Africans to play, and there's the service. Next video. Uh, this, is a, this is just showing the whole church, but you get an idea. It's not perfect, but it's straight. Here are the people that go to the church. Uh, this was just before we left to come to America in April. Nine of them are believers. The Sunday I got ready to leave, the 1st of May, oh, I can't reach her. The lady in the white shirt in the middle right beside Amy. 
Go to the left of Amy, one person in the white shirt. Her name is Rendani, or Manatembi. As I stand up to preach at the rock pulpit, she raised her hand. Pastor, can I talk? Yeah. Does that happen in your service? What's up? She says, I want to tell people how I've been saved. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we'll take a line here. All the people can do it after her. She said, I've been born again. I'm now hiding in Jesus. Two years of Bible studies with her. She gave her testimony in front of everyone. We require you to give your testimony in public in front of everyone. And it has to have Christ and humility. Those are the two requirements. There must be Christ. There must be humility. And I'll say constantly when we preach, are you coming to Christ? Are you believing in him? Stand up. Tell us. Tell me after the service if you're afraid. Tell me anywhere. We want to hear that you're trusting in Christ. This woman did it. She's not yet baptized. The waters haven't come, but we hope to baptize her as soon as we have water. Waters usually come around October, November. But she gave her testimony the day we left. Then we were praying, oh God, make this a selfish church. Alpheus, you remember Alpheus from the selfish church? Alpheus has had six more, five more, five or six more, five, six more, six more testimonies since we've been gone. That brings the church membership from nine to 16. Since we've been gone, right? The missionary's not there. And God is still saving people with the Holy Spirit and his word. And a black pastor doing a great job. But most of these people have taken two to four years. For example, one of the ladies over there that just gave her testimony has been in the church for four years. Happened after a month, after a week. But I'd far rather her be the fourth soil in our Lord's parable who bears fruit 30, 60, or 100 rather than her praying a prayer and then falling away. Next picture. So that, I drilled down deep on Valdesia. But let me quickly, I won't, I won't take much more time here. I'll be done in four minutes. I see some eyes starting to roll in the back of their heads. What I have seen in America is very encouraging Christians. I don't know you very well. You don't know me. But I am sure while you've heard this, you're happy because many of you are smiling and, and you're tracking with me. I'm, I'm watching the eyes. And you're grateful that God's answering people. And he is. But remember, how many tongas were there? Do you remember from way, way back at the beginning? I told you there was a test. How many tongas were there? Tonga, Venda, Shona, three people groups. Tonga, how many? That was the Shonas. Well done. Uh, Venda or Tonga? Six million Tongas. We've seen 50. Before we came back, I counted up every person I could think who's not only made a profession of faith, not only been baptized, but is giving evidence that they have a new heart. I came to 50 names after 18 years, and me and my teammate, two of us. You see Paul the Apostle? How many years? 12 years. How many churches? Should I rejoice at the 50 or weep over the 5,999,950? It burdens me. So last year we began a new method. It just came together by, by grace and providence. Here's our new method. This is the village of Nwamatatani. There's Caleb teaching. Uh, go down. Someone try to say the village name there. Just sound it out. Nwamatatani. Nwamatatani. There you go. So I started preaching on the street in Nwamatatani. And I told them, if you come 10 weeks in a row, I'll give you a free Bible. So this is basically how it happens. I pull up in my bucky. I, oh, I'm sorry. I pull up in my pickup truck, which they call bucky. It means little cart. I pull up in my little cart. I get out, I talk to the owner of a shop, and I say, 
do you mind if I preach here? They're always glad for me to preach there because I attract more customers. I stand in the back of the pickup. I take the guitar. I start playing. And all my kids, my kids love to go with me. And they'll stand up singing. And if little Kulani comes with me, oh, man, that steals the show. People come out from everywhere just to see, what, there's a six-year-old white kid singing in Sangha? And so they all come out. And I'll just raise my voice. Come, come, everyone, if you hear my voice, come hear the gospel. I'm not trying to blast anyone out. Probably did. And then Caleb one time paced it off and preached. He said, what, how many, far was it? 307 steps away, you can still hear the voice. Hey, that's pretty good. But you'll see people come. So now, here, I just preach on the streets. People gather together. And then I'll say, come for a free Bible. Then I preach the gospel and say, if you want a free Bible, sign your name. If you come 10 weeks in a row, I give you a free Bible. It's about $10. I'll give you $10 Bible for free if you come for 10 weeks. And people come. They all want free stuff. And you see, it's African religion because they've got their own religious amulets called muti. They have their own muti from the Tsongas. And they get there from the Vendas, but they want the white man's muti too. Because who knows, maybe we have a connection with the Shikwembu. They want all of the protection they can. So they often take the Bibles, put them under their pillows just to protect them at night. Or open them beside their pillow stands at night. Read them. Oh, we don't read. We carry them because they're maybe some kind of power to keep them away. Africans put strings around the bellies of their babies to protect them. They wear wrist bracelets and ankle bracelets to protect them. They put things on the backs of the necks of their babies to protect them from the, from the um, evil spirits. So, the, uh, yeah, they'll take Bibles to protect them from the evil spirits, too. Well, I'll give you a Bible. Come for 10 weeks. You can't miss one. And then they come. Then the people listen. After 10 weeks, I give them their Bible. And I say, I'll keep coming. And then we ask for testimonies every week. I say, Psalm 66, 66, I quoted this morning. Come ye who fear the Lord, and I will tell what God has done for my soul. Can you stand up and tell us what God has done for your soul? Has he saved you and redeemed you, bought you back and, sa- and given you a new heart? Has he helped you to love his son? Stand up and tell us. After a year and a half, that man stood up. He's the first fruits from Numatatani. That was in April, just before we left. He stood up and gave a wonderful testimony. Next picture. So we did it again at a village called Makasa. See all the adults? This is much more than before. Before I was doing door-to-door, and door-to-door wastes your time. The Africans will take you in. Oh, anytime you want. Every house almost, you can come in. And sit there for 45 minutes doing a Bible study, and they'll pray the prayer immediately. Anytime you tell them to pray, they'll pray. But then actually coming to their church, leaving their false religion? Oh, no, no, no. On average. Four years. So we're not interested in prayers. We're interested in conversions. So here in Mikasa, doing the same thing. But now they're listening. Next one. Here's Newstands, cleverly named, right? Next one. Madubi. This is another village. That's my teammate, Paul. Next, vill- next one. Play that video. Give you an example. Listen to him speak the Tsonga and watch the density of the homes. You get an idea. Brothers and sisters, I've taken way over my time. I don't know exactly when I started. I don't know when you end. I'm not even interested in asking. So I want you to know I love you. I love the songas. And I'm thankful that you've taken the time to come and listen to what God's doing. 
Rejoice tonight. God is saving people from the poorest places. Pray for us tonight. We're doing almost nothing. There's so many millions, but Lord willing, this new method will be helpful to bring many more people to Christ. When we return, I'm hoping to put Wednesday in one section. Preach once at 11, drive two miles away. Preach there at 1, drive two miles away there at 3. And then the next day, drive 20 kilometers down the road, 11, 1, 3. Next day, 20 kilometers down the road. Pray for stamina. Pray for conversions. Pray for the power of God. If you're interested, you can sign up in the back. We can take one of our prayer cards. We've got stacks of the cards in the back. But thank you so much for your interest and for allowing us to speak this evening. Are there any questions before I close?